Welcome to the Gotta Pop podcast. My name is Buddy Gott, and I'm the founder and chief editor of Plethora of Pop, which can be found on medium.com or on plethoraofpop.com. On this show, I'll be talking each episode about new and classic things I've been enjoying from the worlds of music, movies, television, books, and some other things too. Sometimes I'll have guests on the show and sometimes I'll be doing them by myself. I thank you very much for joining me today and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. My name is Buddy Gott. Welcome to today's episode of Gotta Pop. I'm excited about the show for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've got my friend Roland Denzel here. Hi, Roland. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm also excited because this is, although this is the 10th episode of Gotta Pop, this is the first one that I'm doing that I'm going to have both an audio version and then a video version on YouTube. So I, I, I thank you, Roland, for being a part of that. This is kind of fun. I you, you know, um, I used to do a show years ago on YouTube called Buddy's Writing Show, where I would interview writers. And uh, this, so I, I've kind of missed that. So it's, it's going to be fun to do this here on YouTube. So again, welcome to the show. Awesome. And, Thanks for having me. I brushed oh, my hair just for you. Oh, I, I, it looks great. It lo- really you. looks great. Thank, Thank you. you. And I just want to let people know a little bit about you. Uh, I've known you for probably close to 10 years now. I know we were parts of the same writing communities online. We used to follow the uh, self-publishing podcast that uh-huh. uh, that was done by uh, Johnny, uh, Sean Johnny, and Dave. Yeah, Johnny, Sean, and Dave. I think that's maybe where I got to know you. Then there was the other one too. The um, I forget what it was. The one that Carl Sinclair and some others did. Oh, but, yeah, uh, the, the something roundtable. Yes, yes, yes. The self-publishing roundtable. Round. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so you are a writer. You've got multiple books out. And I wanted to let people know too, they should check out... Um, you on Facebook, Instagram, the indestructible author, you give wonderful, inspiring advice there. And I know people can, you know, well, that people can learn a lot for you. You've helped me out a lot with things that you've posted. And I encourage writers and everyone else to just check out your stuff online. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah, yeah. And one thing other than writing that you and I have in common is a love of music. We have talked and bonded over music many, many times over the years. And when we talked about doing the show together today, I know um, I had asked you maybe to give me an album that you maybe thought was underrated or maybe a favorite album. And I know you had in mind a group that we both love, and that is Pink Floyd. You've been a fan for a while, I guess, right? But you, like me, your your fandom has changed a little over the years. Yeah, I my i had a stepfather i I don't know the years but my stepfather was not he was 13 years older than me so Mm -hmm. and so he and my my mother were into a totally different types of music right they liked you know but you know he liked the music that she liked and he didn't she didn't know anything about his music but you know he introduced me to he had a bunch of albums and he said you can listen to them whenever you want and it was like you know deep purple super tramp yellow you know pink floyd and um things like that and like at first i was just like i don't know any of these bands like (laughs) and and then but he would play pink floyd more than others and then i sort of got hooked into it and then when when i grew up you know out moved out into the world you know i had developed this love for pink floyd and discovered that oh you know their early stuff was so different from their 
current stuff from the late seventies. Right. Right. Yeah. Much, much different, much, much different. And, um, so I started getting into, I have a tendency to like, when I like, like a band or a book or something or an author, I like kind of dig into their past stuff too. Right. And like, I want to see how they've changed and how they've morphed over time. And I don't always love the past stuff, but it's, I love knowing about it. You know, yeah, that's how it. I am too. I kind yeah. of, uh, I, I always say that I kind of geek out or nerd out over bands or singers when I get into them, when I discover them and, you know, something of theirs hits me and I love it. And I, I love that too. I love learning the whole history. I'll go to like Wikipedia pages and, and websites and just learn as much as I can. And, oh, so many bands, especially ones that came out in that time period, have very, very interest, interesting histories and not just in like how the bands were formed, but in how they changed over the years. And Pink Floyd, like you said, is a great example of that. Um, their yeah, first album. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, you've seen Spinal Tap, right? Oh, yeah. I love Spinal okay. Tap. <laughs> so I think a lot of people who have seen Spinal Tap, they would, you know, they see here's a metal band, you know, and um, and then they show these clips of them from the 60s. Yes. The Thamesmen. They were had a different name, the Thamesmen. Yeah. They're like in these like sort of like these 60s tight suits with the cut short hair <laughs> and one has the shaggy hair and they sing like super like hippy dippy kind of like poppy kind of psychedelic kind of music <laughs> i remember because the one song that the, i remember them showing in the movie was listen to what the flower people say yeah. which couldn't be much more further removed from big bottom that came later <laughs> than, than anything i know and it's crazy so people like I, I remember people thinking oh that's ridiculous that somebody would have that and i'm like actually like pink that's a lot like pink floyd is right yeah. so like pink floyd's not metal but you know it's like they're super serious music later and then right. you go back into pink floyd's early days and they're wearing like fur coats and big floppy hats and yeah cravats and, you know <laughs> like big crazy mustaches I, and yes i remember when i first started seeing those pictures too I, and i was kind of blown away because i'm like oh this is uh because they're a band too that especially in their later works they very rarely would have their pictures even on their albums so you wouldn't see the band a whole lot and obviously back in the 70s there weren't a lot of music videos being made and things like along those lines so when i went back like you and saw those pictures from the 60s i'm like wow these are these guys are much much different than i would have guessed yeah yeah and the, mu the music back then is just crazy so it, like i'm not going to say that anyone who likes the most common, the most popular Pink Floyd would like those things, but they will probably like to have heard them at least yes. once or twice. There's some think, just some crazy, right. some crazy sounding, super psychedelic stuff with harpsichords and yeah, but, yeah. And actually, as much as I love Pink Floyd, because I got into them, I guess I was a little late in some ways in getting into them. I didn't really have my first Pink Floyd album until I was 21 or 22. And uh, that was around the time that they had just gotten back together with their Momentary Lapse of Reason album, which was mm -hmm. the first thing without Roger Waters. And of course, that was in a lot of ways very different because Roger Waters was not in the band. And I ended up loving that album. If people aren't familiar with it, it, it had a big hit on it called Learning to Fly and then another one on the Turning Away. A lot of great music on there. But that was much different than the stuff that was in the 70s, like The Wall and Dark Side of the Moon. But then what came in the 60s at first, uh, prior to Dark Side of the Moon, was, oh, oh, very, very much different. Uh, like you said, the first album was The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. 
Yeah. And, and uh, that that one, I have to say, I'm not a big, big fan of that. I, I bought yeah. it because I, I'm sort of a completist and I, I wanted to have all the Pink Floyd albums, but I listened to it a few times back in the 90s and I don't think I've played it in its entirety since then. A little too psychedelic. I don't mind psychedelic yeah. music, but that's not my Pink Floyd. Yeah, I can still hear it going through my head right now, but... I'm like, I don't really want to hear it going through my head. Like it's <laughs> like, I, I'll get another earworm later, you know, but it's just super, it's super crazy. But I think a lot of it, you know, just the day that it's very indicative of the music of the day yes, of the psychedelic bands. And they were definitely psychedelic. I mean, they had a different lead singer back then. Yeah. Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett. And he was sort uh, of their leader. I mean, writing all the songs or yeah. the majority of the songs are much yeah. different. And yeah, of course, sure. uh, of course, he left the band. Um, well, I don't know how if everybody knows this, but he, he had some serious drug problems and and also some mental issues as well, um, and that led to him leaving the band. Actually, he only was on a little bit of their second album, which um, which was uh, a saucer full of secrets. And at that point, David Gilmore had joined the band, and then after that one, Sid Barrett was gone, and then the sound kept changing. And at first it was sort of, uh, well, it, it was different as we already said from what came later in the seventies uh, when Roger Waters became the primary songwriter. And with those albums after um, after Saucer Football Secrets, you had uh, the, the musicians, you know, co-writing the songs much more frequently. Uh, David mm -hmm. Gilmore was getting into writing songs, uh, Richard Wright as well. And uh, it was interesting because a lot of it was, uh, you could tell they were just jamming like on a couple of the things. Um, yeah. And I like those. There's one album towards the, um, the beginning. Well, well, you know, let's go to this one first. You, you, um, you mentioned an album to me just the other day that I'm, I'm not super familiar with, but it was another soundtrack to the movie more. Have you, are you familiar with that one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That that's pretty good, but it, obviously it, it's, uh, I know in part because it's a soundtrack, it's different than what came later, but, uh, Musically, it's uh, well, I don't know. I, I like a lot of the things on there. I do too. That, but there's like a mixture. There's like I really yeah. like this song. I'm gonna skip this next one because yes. you know, like the second one because they're just like crazy psychedelic musical numbers. Yeah, you know, it's like just and you can tell in in that regard that it was probably just we needed some song, some music for this part of a movie, a dramatic yes. part of the movie, right? It is very hit or miss. The good stuff is really good. Then there's other ones too that uh, I'm fine never hearing again. Yeah. So I think Cymbeline and is on that album, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think you're right. And Green is the color. So I think those, are, for me, those are the two standout songs yeah, on those there. Are good. Those are so really like, good. So if they were on like a best of album, you'd be like, oh, this is good early Big yeah. Floyd, right? I can right, see exactly. how they, you know, how they could have been. But then the other ones, you'd be like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I found that too with uh, the majority of their early albums that for the most part, I can't put on them and listen to them in their entirety without wanting to skip songs. There were, set, there were um, I think it was seven albums before uh, The Dark Side of the Moon. I think uh, it's around there. It's around there. So one, one we're going to focus on a lot today is uh, the Obscured by Clouds album. And that, yeah, that was their seventh album. And then after that came Dark Side. But yeah, I, actually Obscured by Clouds, which came out in 1972, I would say of their earlier albums, the pre-Dark Side of the Moon albums, 
it, it's obviously it, well it's my favorite of those but it's the only one really i can listen to in its entirety without mm. wanting to skip songs the first one that i can listen to in its entirety without is metal oh, oh gosh i forgot about metal okay I, yeah. I sometimes get the order of them mixed up well yes, it's weird because because i think obscured by clouds was actually recorded before metal so met like metal was like hey we need let's write we have these ideas so it took it took them years to re to record dark side of the moon mm -hmm. and so in that time they recorded obscured by clouds they but that was like they went on like they went there and hurry up let's make this this soundtrack right yeah it was right? it was recorded then, really quickly from what i recall yeah and then it takes a while for a movie to come out so like it was released at the same time as the movie so it was probably written and recorded before metal and then so metal was a lot of the so you can i i feel like if you list like the order you would list if you want to hear, hear the journey you would go metal and then dark side of the moon because mm -hmm. yeah, metal I think, I think has that's a good... it has the one long and, and it's it's as close to a, I mean, I mean, I don't really see how Dark Side of the Moon is a concept album so much as because the, except for the fact that the songs are connected, they, they fade in and out and overlap yes. each other, but I, I don't see you. a unifying concept. Like the wall is a unifying concept. Yeah. But, I, I see it very, very often referred to as being a concept album, but I've never viewed it that way either. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's because a lot of people think it's, uh, you know, it's got an, reputation of course for being an album that people can kind of zone out and listen to or maybe mm -hmm. get stoned and listen to um which has never been my thing but uh, yeah i don't really view that as a concept album either and yeah it's it's interesting i uh like you said metal i, I love metal quite a bit too and i think what's interesting about well there were some things i heard on metal which remind me a little bit of some of the things like on Obscured by Clouds. You mentioned the long epic song on metal and that's Echoes. That's the one it ends yeah. with. And, and I think it's close to 20 minutes long. And that's that's one of my favorite songs by yeah. Floyd. I've seen them a few, I was lucky enough to see them a few times in concert and they did it every time I saw them and it was just amazing. And um, where, where I was gonna say the similarity to me is, is that one thing I love about that song is you had the vocals shared by David Gilmore and Richard Wright on there it, it, most of the song is instrumental but mm -hmm. there's some there's some great verses on there and there was a, there's a couple times on obscured by clouds where you hear them singing together particularly on the song burning bridges and i just love the way that their voices sounded together and unfortunately yeah. after obscured by clouds you really didn't hear that as much because it was getting more into the roger waters led era of the band where it was uh I don't know. There, there seemed to be a, a lot less participation in a lot of ways, and not always to the liking of the majority of the band members. Yeah, well, I think later on, as we see, like in later albums, with once Roger Waters started singing, like mm -hmm. his voice is such a dramatic shift from the other two, right? It is that I it think is. they used it thematically, right? So, like when I'm going to be, we could probably use the word bleak too much often, you know, <laughs> often in this, but like. <laughs> Bigger, more serious, you know, harsher topics. I think that's where Roger Waters, you know, really almost like I'm saying it like it is. Here, here's yeah. my voice, and um, he's got an interesting voice. So that's, he does. That, that's for sure. And I'm one of the my favorite lyricists ever. Oh, he's a fantastic lyricist, and but uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head there with. 
with the bleakness because you know his a lot of his stuff did deal with uh you know his own struggles for example um well it, it's it's there's a there's a lot of his stuff that has to deal with his father being killed in world war ii i mean the wall is very much centered around that and the final cut album too which was the last one that he did with pink floyd was like that and interestingly the the first mention of hit of what happened to his father happened on this album obscured by clouds with a song called free for which is mm-hmm. an it was actually the only single that was released from obscured by clouds and it's an interesting song because musically it's uh it's very upbeat it's got a really peppy sound you listen to it and you're like oh what a happy little song but then he's singing about his his father getting killed and um i I think it's a great song though i know i'm I'm here laughing talking about it but if people have never heard that I, i encourage them to check it out i encourage them to check out this whole album i know you and i have both said um and i think we were we both surprised each other a little bit by saying how much we actually love this album because in a in a lot of ways, it's one of the lesser known Pink Floyd albums, I think, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took me a while. Like, you challenged me to, you know, like, you know, not challenged me, but like you asked me, hey, is there <laughs> a, an under, like, we didn't talk, even talk about Pink, that it being Pink Floyd at the time. No. But, you know, just like, hey, is there a, you know, a favorite album or an underrated uh, uh, album or an album that should, you think should get more play, right? And I kind of went through this sort of a, uh, was that crisis of conscience, whatever. I don't know, like where I'm mm-hmm. like, I really like Pink Floyd. They're my favorite band, but I, it's hard for me to recommend a, a, a Pink Floyd album because I, I, even I cannot listen to them all the way through without feeling like I want to skip one here or skip one there. Right. Because I'm just not in the place I was. I still love the band, but I'm not emotionally in the place I was, you know, when I was 25 and I can or, very much relate to that. Right. Like when I, when my friends and I sat and listened to the wall, you know, on a mm-hmm. mattress on the floor, you know, in, in one of our new apartments, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, and yeah, I can so relate to that. I mean, I think there's, that's the case I think with a lot of music acts that, uh, you know, we view them differently depending on where we are in our lives. I look back at, uh, Look back at the whole grunge movement in the early 90s and um i was just uh, i was still in my 20s at that point but uh i think i was part of that whole generation x group that that was written for so i loved all that stuff and a lot of the stuff like nirvana pearl jam other bands from that era who were very very popular and still remain popular was uh well, there was a lot of unhappiness in those lyrics it was it, the era is known for being sort of this, this miserable era you know of mm-hmm. just uh the, the musicians being miserable and a lot of the fans you know being unhappy but at that time i remember my best friends and i sort of thriving on that like we would hear an artist i remember when alanis morissette came out with her jagged little pill album and a lot of her songs were her being upset you know about mm-hmm. a relationship or one thing or another and we're just like I remember my friend saying, listen to how miserable she is. This is great. Everybody's got to buy this album. (laughs) I mean, it's funny how you go through periods. And I think it was the same with me for Pink Floyd. There were different times in my life where, I don't know, I just appreciated a lot of those things like The Wall and even Dark Side a little bit more than I do now. I'm not in any way saying I don't appreciate it now. I think a lot of, most of it is still brilliant, but I'm just in a place in my life where I'd rather hear uplifting things or or, things that don't bum me out it's even like where i was just thinking about it where it's not like most popular songs aren't about 
happy things. I mean, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, you want to bring out negative emotions, but you hopefully have it brings you. I guess it gives you the the gift of hope. I guess you know, like yes. yeah. even though there, are, but but some but some Pink Floyd's it's an endless you know, the album. Like if you know, to right. a, a double album of of negativity is is a little bit can be tough, right? Yeah. Um, but. It's interesting. I was thinking about best of albums and I used mm -hmm. to have sort of a negative opinion of them. I'm like, for a lot of them, like there's some, like I, I actually, you know, when I got into Fleetwood Mac, I started with a best of album, right? So somebody had given me a best of album or something or oh, okay. loaned me one. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And then I sort of branched out into other things. And then I saw that there was a Pink Floyd. I don't know if they call them best ofs, but there's several compilations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember there being several compilations. And I like turned up my nose and like, why would there need to be a best of yeah. Pink Floyd? Because like their songs don't stand alone. Like you, why would you like that's cut one true. out and put them on here? And now yeah. I'm thinking, well, now I understand why, you know, because, you know, yeah. like I, now I might not, my best of might not be the same as the ones that, are, that would sell, but, right. but yeah, I certainly but I... made my own best ofs Pink Floyd you know, in, in playlists and burned yeah, my CD too. back in the day when, you know, so I'm like, I get it now. And, and I agree with what you're saying here, because there were times, especially when I was so immersed in their albums, which was most of my 20s and into my 30s, that, you know, I, I knew them inside out. And if I, you know, were to hear some sort of compilation album where I heard the song Time, and then it's followed up by something that came 15 years later, I'm like, oh, that's wrong. You know, that, mm -hmm. that is not how it plays out on the album. Time should only be followed by, you know, whatever it was on the dark side of yeah. the moon album. I think it was a great gig, great gig in the yeah, sky. There was, maybe. A, there was one where it started with, like, it kicked it off um, in the, I think, in the order that they were released. And, like, mm -hmm. so the first one on this best of or compilation was, like, was Interstellar Overdrive or oh, something, okay. right? They didn't dare put the earlier you know the weirder ones like you know, <laughs> bike bike or SCM right play, those kinds of things. <laughs> but they're just weird you know i'm like if somebody buys this they're gonna like they're gonna want to return it because it's just not there. <laughs> that's true <laughs> because, because that's they're gonna go, this interstellar overdrive is so weird compared to and i go well, it doesn't belong on the same kind of an album as, as the songs it's funny you're talking about that. I hadn't thought about this in years. I never owned a copy of this because I had already had the studio albums. But uh, I remember one compilation being called A Collection of Great Dance Songs. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you don't think dancing and Pink Floyd usually in the same sentence. <laughs> so it was a great ironic title, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But uh, now, going back to the Obscured by Clouds album, it's interesting because, like we said, it is it was a soundtrack for a film, and the film, I th I'm not sure how to, I guess it was a French film, La Valley, La, La Valley, I'm think, not sure how I you say it. I think it's the it. Valley, I don't know, it's, it, but I think it's the Valley in French. Yeah, but and also I guess they, it was released in some places as Obscured by Clouds as well. well. Yeah, so I guess they had a falling out with the production company. Oh, right? okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the movie was The Valley, La Valley, right? And Pink Floyd mm -hmm. was going to release the soundtrack also as La Valley, but then they had a falling out. So they said, well, you know, screw you. We're going to release it, you know, as Obscured by Clouds. Right. Right. Yeah. Because so nowhere on the recording does it say the official soundtrack to, or at least I don't think it does, but go ahead. I have seen, I somehow I knew even before Google existed. So I, I mean, <laughs> I must have said it in the liner notes or something oh, yeah. like that. They right. probably had some sort of contractual agreement to, yeah, you're right. Had to probably be in there. Did. 
I think it said the soundtrack to the film Love LA, right? Right. But then the the film production company decided, well, we're just going to change our name, the name of the movie, to Obscured by Clouds. Oh, okay. So How about that? Yeah, just to, you know, to, to screw them back, right? But, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, but you've never heard of either movie, so um, yeah. obviously it wasn't a wasn't a, a winner I mean, yeah the only time you movie. the only time you hear about the movies is when people like you and i are talking about the albums that were you know, that came from yeah. them well if we had heard about it everyone would know that this was a soundtrack yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. and uh now let, let's uh let's delve a little bit more into obscured by clouds because it is an album i think that uh not just pink floyd fans should check out but just fans of good music there's a there's a lot of good mm -hmm. stuff on there i mean it starts off with a couple of instrumentals which you can tell were you know it's no big surprise that they, yeah they were very soundtracky it started off with a great one uh with the title track obscured by clouds and it it was a little different sounding in some ways from other things that floyd was doing back then but it was cool because it had a comp it was a little mellow but yet it still really rocked too and it mm -hmm. had like a great david gilmore solo on there and uh it, it was a good all the songs in there are very short i think the album clocks in at what maybe just over 30 minutes or somewhere around there yeah um, but that was a good one. And when you're ends another instrumental. And uh, what are you? What are your? I know what your favorite is on the album. But uh, what is what is your favorite song on the album? Childhood's End. Yeah, that's a great yeah. song. It's such a great song. It's uh, I, 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 it's one of my favorite David Gilmore uh, sung songs from that early period. And I would say actually from the entire history of Pink Floyd. His vocals on it are fantastic. And I, when I was, um, I wrote an article last year about this album. I'll, I'll include a link to it in the uh, notes for this episode on YouTube and in the other places. But it turned out that that was the last song that David wrote for Pink Floyd, uh, where he was the sole writer until 1987 with the Momentary Lapse of Reason album, because it was after that that, uh, like I said, Roger, I'm sorry. Um, Roger Waters started taking like the primary lead role and he, for a couple albums, you know, the others co-wrote some songs with him, mm -hmm. but it was mostly on the more musical end of it. Uh, but childhood's end is just so, so good. I, I, I would love to have seen him do that in concert. One of the times I saw Floyd, but you know, it was never yeah. popular enough, I guess, to warrant that. It's such a great song though. Yeah. It's definitely a, a deep cut for the, for the fan, you know, for yeah. the fans but it but it like it's one of the ones where i feel like if it could have gotten more play it could have taken off as a song on its own because it's very it's a it's a rock song right yeah where it is a lot of i think of what you know we are I'm sure we all know people who are like oh pink floyd and roll their eyes at it because <laughs> of like yeah it's it's got this you know epic progressive rock kind of stuff where it just kind of goes on forever and you never know you know and you know yeah, Try, trying too hard, but you know some people say right. Exactly. But childhood Zen and some of the some of the earlier stuff, and then again, some of their later stuff, momentary raps, a reason and on, like it's more about their songs stand alone again, you know, and mm -hmm. they're more more rock songs. Exactly, and uh, actually, childhood childhood Zen reminds me a little bit of uh, some of the stuff from. David Gilmore solo albums. So he hasn't done a whole lot of solo albums, but uh, there's an early, it was from his first solo album, the song called No, no Way Out of Here. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a little bit, parts of that remind me of that song. Um, Gilmore's 
underrated, I think. I mean, he gets obviously a lot of acclaim for being a, such a fantastic guitar, guitarist. To me, he's mm-hmm. one of my favorite rock and roll guitarists ever. But his voice, too, I think is exceptional. I always yeah. preferred his voice over... I like Roger Waters' voice, but I always preferred Gilmore's voice. And he did sing on the majority of, you know, I would say their most popular songs. Great voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for sure. Yeah, and he was very talented. I mean, he... Like when after Sid Barrett left, Sid Barrett went off and did I think one or two solo albums as well. Yeah, and David Gilmour produced them, and that's right, I forgot that. Um, and he did he played the drums. Oh Sid, yeah, Sid was that's a good, right. Sid Barrett was a guitar player and had his own distinctive style, but yes, David Gilmour, like if you look at the liner notes for his his albums, which are even super they're super crazy so they are remember yeah. one was called the madcap laughs, laughs or yeah yeah and that yeah. was really bizarre yeah that was a really listen bizarre. to it once and that was enough for me <laughs> yeah exactly you can catch some of those on youtube you yeah know, and you know but david gilmore plays a lot of the music a lot of the instruments you well know, and i, I didn't really I, you know i i think i had known that about him playing drums and other things on there but i had forgotten that yeah he's he's incredibly talented and that's a yeah, that's such a great song. And my favorite is also a Gilmore sung song. And that's it's a really interesting title. It's "What's uh, the Deal?" Yeah. Question mark. And that uh, I mentioned how I wish he had done Childhood's End in concert. He actually on one of his more recent solo tours. Well, gosh, I say more recent, but it was almost twenty years ago now. Um, he had done "What's uh, the Deal." in concert and i've seen some videos of that online and it's on one of his uh live albums that came out around 2004 2005 and that is when he actually toured with um richard wright the keyboard Hmm. player and and occasional vocals uh rick passed away shortly after that but uh, on one of those last tours with gilmore they touched in on uh, some of the old stuff like that and echoes from the metal album and that to me is a great song and that's like you had said for childhood's end i think if that had been released as a single at least to like more rock stations it it, it could have gotten some notoriety and some extra fame on the band and you know i know you can only play the what if game so much but it makes me wonder you know if those things had been released and been successful would dark side have happened the way that it did you know would the record company have pushed them to go in another direction yeah, like I said, or, I know you can only play what if so I much, think it's right? like could be also be like a timing thing. Like, yeah, because like the radio stations, like true, like super fans, they just buy everything. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter what order they come in. But radio stations, they're only going to play the stuff that they're going to get listeners. Right. So would dark, you know, metal had recently come out and I don't think it had any. I think it had, you know, a couple of songs that were got yeah. some airplay, but it wasn't like a huge and then dark side of the moon comes out so sandwiched in between is this little album more that wasn't really giving a lot getting a big push either right right now so yeah so maybe that's you know then dark side comes in and they're like in in pretty short succession and yeah and it was such a huge huge album it it always i mean yeah it couldn't have been much more huge i mean it was on the in the top 200 album charts for Gosh, I think it was from the time it was released up until the very end of the 1980s. I, for the longest time, it held a record for being you know, in the top 200 uh, longer than any other album. But then it's funny, once I, I had seen the, I think it was uh, drummer Nick Mason talking about this. He said the reason that he felt that it finally did eventually exit 
the top 200 was at that point in the late 1980s, CDs were the most popular way to listen to music. And prior to that, though, people had, were wearing out their copies of Dark Side, their, their vinyl copies of Dark Side of the Moon. So they keep buying them over and over again. And oh. I know that's true even for me. I owned three copies of it before I bought it on CD. Yeah. One, one, it just was skipping too much. And, you know, the other, it and got tapes wear out. On. They start yeah, sounding yeah, weird. Exactly. Or, they, or they do that thing where you got to put the pencil back in. That <laughs> only happens so many times. And they give it a. <laughs> A pinch in the wrong spot, and then you're exactly. Annoyed. So, so yeah, that that's what led the album to eventually making its way out of the top 200. But yeah, Dark Side was so epic and just you know life changing for the band in so many ways. I mean, their music. Uh, I mean, they went in some really, I thought, good directions after Dark Side. I mean, you had Animals, of course, and Wish You Were Here, and uh, those were the. Uh, to me, those were the last two albums where it seemed more like uh, group efforts, because yeah. espe especially with uh, the Wish You Were Here album, there are, well, the the main song on there, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, is I think seventeen or eighteen minutes long. It's just, and most of it is instrumental, and I think it was co-written by, if not all of the band, it was most of the band, and that was mm -hmm. a more a very collaborative thing. But then when you came to the Wall in the nineteen seventies, Roger kind of took the lead with all of the lyrics because it was mainly the story he was telling. Mm -hmm. And um, I know even after that, I think the decision was, okay, Roger pretty much has to be running things because we had such success with the wall. Although it didn't really go so well there because after the wall came the final cut and David Gilmore barely did anything on there because uh, Roger took over a little too much. And well, of course, Roger left right after that because it had gotten very, um, what was it? It wasn't a nice scene. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that the the feeling was that the final cut was leftover feelings from the wall. It's like stuff yes. stuff that I couldn't get out of my system with the wall. I'm going to put in this fine in the final cut. And I think right. the band was like, we want to do something a little. Let's you know change it up a little bit. This is like the yeah. wall too, almost right. Right. And a then and I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then he also, Roger Waters, I think Roger Waters wanted to, he, the pros and cons of hitchhiking. Have you read his, listened to his solo? I love that album. Yeah. I love it too. So he wanted that to be a Pink Floyd thing. And they're, and they're like, well, this is too, this is all about you. Like, they're like, this is too personal. It's all about you. So they right. pushed back and that's when they did, they settled on the final cut, I think. Yeah. And, you know, added a couple of other more songs to make it thematically different. But um, yeah, I love, I love the Roger Waters stuff too. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the only one that I uh, haven't really gotten into with that was the one that he put out in 2017. And that I the guess opera that is, one? Uh, no, it was, um, is this the life we really want? I guess was the album he came out with in two, 2017. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I don't want to, well, I, I love his music. I don't want to put him down in any way because he's certainly entitled to have his opinions on things. But uh it seems like Roger has he's he's always been known for being a little on the grumpy side, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, even in interviews going back to the 1960s. But it seems like most of the times you see him talking now, he's he, he's very, very angry and maybe angrier than ever about maybe things going on in the world and and problems that he has had with the other surviving members of Pink Floyd. And I think when this album came out, I, I tried to listen to it once, but I, I'm like, as much as I love him, I'm just not It's sort of like we said earlier, I just wasn't in the mood for it. I remember yeah. putting it on and instantly there was the first, one of the first things I heard on there was a clip of of then President Donald Trump 
speaking. He had like sampled something from his and I'm mm. like, oh, I don't really, feel, I'm not feeling this. You know, I want to, I, I, I'm okay with I, concept I, I albums. escape from this stuff, not. Well, and, and you know, you just nailed it because I, I, a lot of times I go to music because I, I want to get away from what's going on in the world. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to sound like, I don't want to sound in any way like I'm narrow minded and trying to shut out the world, but sometimes you do want to get away from that stuff. You know, I, I, yeah. music is a place I like to escape to. And even, and even then, like, even when there are, I mean, definitely the wall was political and, oh, yeah, you know, final cut, definitely political, but there was more allegories to, there weren't, they didn't put real life people in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, exactly. in the final cut, there's a little bit of, but yeah, it's there's just, a little bit, I think I'll talk about Mark, uh, Mark Thatcher, Ron Reagan and, and Margaret others. Thatcher and yeah. stuff like that. There's yeah. a little bit abstract and like, it was about right. the Falklands war, like which most Americans aren't, they knew about, but didn't know, no. So, but like, you could take a little bit of that, but like when I guess with an album starts off with something that's contentious with clips of a, of a latest politician or something like that, that's gonna, it's gonna, Hey, set it in. That's the timeline we're going with. Yes. And so it's no longer evergreen. Yeah. And I think that can be dangerous in whether it's music or TV or movies, you know, to have the topical things like that. I remember, um, You've probably seen it, the old TV show from the 1960s, the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing um, an interview with the producer, the creator of that, Carl Reiner, where he said he intentionally back then did not want to make references to anything going on politically you know, or in the news because he wanted his show to hold up over the years. Yeah. And I think over the five years that they did Dick Van Dyke, there was one mention, I think, of then President John F. Kennedy. And the rest of the time, you know, they they, they stuck away from things. And, and here it is almost 60 years later, and the show is still shown on TV every day. And it, and it, and a lot of it holds up. And I think that could be the same for music, too. I, I know some people younger than me that I remember once playing some uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young for them. And Ohio came on and I kind of had to explain the song Ohio to them because, you know, it took place about this, you know, students getting killed at this one university and this, this horrible, tragic event. But I'm not saying, of course, that those things should never be done. There's, you know, reasons for doing that. And, and artists, you know, they feel passions about one, one thing or another, whether they mm-hmm. are musicians or writers or any kind of artists. But yeah, some, well, sometimes that, that stuff might I can't not even hold remember, up. I can't even remember what the song, but it was, it was recently... Like I learned that a song that I liked was about a specific situation. So I've been listening to whatever this song was, a big airplay song since the seventies. And then it was only like two, maybe two years ago that I'm like, oh, that was about a specific thing. And it was because I went and read the lyrics and it was like one of those sites, lyrics meaning, and it's somebody had written, oh, "Oh, this is a reference to this. And everyone there agreed, rarely, the one of those rare things, everyone agreed that it was about that. (laughs) That is rare online. Oh, I do know about this event, right? It was a big event and I do know about the song, but I did not connect it because it was subtle. There were subtleties to the music. So even if you didn't know the specific situation, like you can still enjoy the song. um, Right. And the messages that it's giving on exactly a, on an allegory level, an allegorical level, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's one of the beauties of a musician being in a band like Pink Floyd. Because when you had a Roger Waters solo album, he can do 
he's going to do what he wants to do, and that's wonderful. Artists should be should do what they want to do. Absolutely, that should come before you know trying to get the sales and all of that. You know, t- tap into what's driving you, uh, tap into what your passions are. But when you are in a band setting, you might have to stifle that a little bit and make things a little more subtle. And sometimes that could be you know a, a more positive thing. I think where. I've had the same experience as you. I, there was something I was listening to the other day from the 80s. And, um, oh, you know what it was? It was um, Eddie Grant's uh, Electric Avenue, mm-hmm. which is a great, you listen to it. And musically, it's this fun pop song. Everybody knows the chorus, you know, going to rock down to Electric Avenue. But it was actually like a very political song. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that till recently that it was about, you know, really hard times going on in the area that he was singing about, which I cannot remember right now. Um, but, um yeah, sometimes though, when, when things are a little more subtle, I think that can be a plus. Yeah, I had a similar experience where, you know, you know, like as a as a writer, sometimes you make playlists and you share them with your fans or put them mm-hmm. on social media. This is what I'm writing. You know, this is like if I could have a theme song to my book, this would be right. This would be it. And I shared, you know, Hearts Barracuda. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. And somebody and somebody said, "But don't you know what that's about?" I'm like, "Well, I do, but like I only learned about it." you know, like last year, what the song is about, which is a negative experience that they had with their record label, accusing them of the, the two sisters of having a, a sexual relationship. Like, oh my goodness. I know. I have never they heard were so this before. pissed off about this, that they Whoa. left the record company eventually, but they also like made this song about this. Right? So I'm like, but yeah, but I loved the song for 20 years. Right. Wow. And it's this like rock and song that I had, yeah. I had in my mind. So I'm not going to let that ruin it for me. Like, yeah, I recognize that that song, what the song is about. I appreciate it for what it is, but right. You know, it, it's the same. Like, you know, if you listen, if you look at, Guardian, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, all those movies, right? Mm-hmm. And they have great soundtracks. Oh, yeah. Exceptional but soundtracks. Those songs don't always match. Like the theme of the song doesn't always match up with that. Like there's a, could be a huge conflict, but it's the it's the it's the 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 emotion that the song has brought up with the audience that's more important than the actual message of the song. Right. Yeah. yeah that's and it's funny. I never heard that about Barracuda. And like you, that's something that I Gosh, I, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old when that song came out. And hearing that on the radio, I was like, oh, it's just about a barracuda. Arr. You know, it's just like yeah. a, a, well, an and animal. They probably, <laughs> they probably never shared what it was about until like 10, yeah, 15 not. years later in an interview. Yeah. And like people, you know, you you you, read, you listen to an interview with Nancy Wilson now and she talks about the the origins of that. But um, yeah. it's but interesting. But she's not singing it as if that's what happened. Like, you know, like if you look mm-hmm. at the look on her face when she's singing it, she's not bitter and angry you right. know, about that. She's like, you know, marching forward. It's just, you know, it's like a, it is work, interesting. Works when... kicking ass. Yeah. And it's interesting when you find those sorts of stories online too. I think there's uh, I haven't visited it in a long time, but I assume it's still around a website called song facts. And mm-hmm. you could pretty much, you know, type in, any song title and if there was a story behind it you could find it on the site and i saw one thing after another along the lines of what you just said it can be interesting to see where things come from and a lot of the things were based around problems the artists had you know with their record executives or their agents and things like that there was something recently gosh i I can't remember what it was right now but what song it was but there was a steely dan song like that where i had been hearing it 
the story one way in my head for decades, but then mm-hmm. I found out it was actually much, much deeper than what I thought. And you're right. The artists certainly don't have to share that with the public, but it is interesting when you learn those things. And, and like we said, as far as Pink Floyd goes, um, especially the stuff that came in the seventies from that Roger Waters wrote, I know that they had a lot of basis in reality and not always mm-hmm. political, but uh, I know he also had, I think gone through it, a really hard divorce. I, I, he may have had an affair on his wife. I can't remember, but I think some of that had worked its way into his music, even, not just with Floyd, but I think even on the uh, pros and cons of Hitchhiking album. I, th- that that one's definitely a, some sort of sexual thing going on, right? This whole yeah, with the, a sexual and then a family situation and then yeah, road and trip cons. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. And, I, I really want to. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh no, like and like to bring it back to like you know. Uh, like have a cigar is very much like, yeah, you know, like problems with, you know, right agents and record companies and, and yeah, stuff like that. yeah, exactly, like that is, that exactly. Well. That's such yeah. a great song. I love that song. That was an interesting one in that none of the Pink Floyd members actually sang lead on that. It was another yeah. guy named uh, Roy Harper. Yeah, is that yeah. is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. And I, I heard later that Waters said he kind of regretted that, you know, that the, he says, maybe I should have just sang that myself. But uh, but Roy Harper did a great I, job on it. I mean, it. it's interesting. Um, it was years before I realized I was always wondering which of the three sang that. Right. Yeah. And then it wasn't in, because it didn't. You know, I think I had I mean, I had the album, the physical vinyl of mm-hmm. and and for those younger people out there today, like you may not realize how much information they put on these albums that they really didn't put in CDs. Right. So, and they certainly don't put them in MP3s. Right. Now there's no, (laughs) I do miss that kind of stuff, you know, so like it probably had vocals by Roy Harper on forever. So it could have, you know, but, um, but it certainly didn't have the story that, that they wanted some, a different, they wanted somebody else to represent, not them. Right. And, and Roy Harper was in the next studio and they said, hey, Roy, can you come over and, <laughs> and do this? Yeah, I actually saw I saw Roger Waters solo uh, three times. One of the times I saw him, he did do that song, which was kind of neat to hear him sing it. And he did a uh, fantastic oh, yeah. job of it. But uh, have you ever did you ever see Waters or Pink Floyd? I've seen uh, Pink Floyd three times and Roger Waters twice. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah that's about. Yeah, I think yeah, for me, it's three and three. I saw Floyd twice on the Momentary Lapse of Reason mm-hmm. tour and then once on Pulse, and they were just amazing each time. And, and Waters was, too. I saw him, I want to say it was around 99 or 2000. He was not plugging a particular album at that point because it, it, then it, his most recent one had been Amused to Death, which came out in 92. But it, So it was just a, really a collection of his solo stuff and Floyd stuff. And that's when he seemed like he was really getting into enjoying touring because since then he's toured pretty regularly. I, I saw him, him for Radio Chaos. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. And and which was interesting because radio Jim Ladd, who's the radio personality. Yeah, the in, DJ. In the booth, yeah. in the DJ. He was actually the local radio DJ for Los Angeles. So oh, like, okay. there was a station KMET, which was uh, the big progressive rock, classic rock. I don't know. They probably didn't call it classic rock at the time, but you know, rock station. Right. Right. 
at the time he was famous and he had you know jim ladd was a regular dj but he also had his own special shows that he would do friday night oh, okay. one called headsets where you he encouraged everyone put on your headset because like the oh, stuff that nice. we're going to play requires that much immer- immersion right oh i love that and so he was the dj and at, for the concert he actually had a dj booth so there was like a dj booth up there and oh, wow. he, he did it like so the members of roger waters band got to have their own tracks that they played so paul carrick from squeeze was there oh that's right i forgot he toured with him then yeah so he got yeah. you know two song. he got a song here like at the beginning near the beginning and then another song later on and then oh um, wow thematically and like so it was kind of like they had an opening opening act and um david sanborn you know oh which, oh yeah you know, which was a strange you know not a typical kind of a thing for rock rock right yeah. but he got up there and he played a couple stuff thing went out there with david sanborn and uh um, paul carrick and they did some stuff together wow and there were some big some big names that got to you know they got to do some stuff um so they made oh, it like a radio cool. show kind of it was pretty cool Oh, I bet that was a lot of fun. I would have loved yeah. to have seen that. Yeah, I would have and liked like, to... you know, introducing, like, you know, then he would shift from, here's a Roger Waters to do this. And then, like, the Roger Waters songs were more like the, um, like, like the story. And then they would, Jim would introduce a Pink Floyd song. And then they would all do that. Oh, or wow. Paul Carrick. Here's a Squee- song by Squeeze, you know, and. That oh, wow. Cool. That, it, that sounds very cool. And I, I may be wrong on this, but I want to say that at the time he was touring for that, Floyd was out on the road touring too for one of their first solo um i think one, one of their first... laps of reason and yeah i think it was chaos came out at the same time yeah basically i think the they same did time. yeah yeah and uh because i remember there's there was a really good pink floyd book i think it was actually called a saucer full of secrets um uh, that came out in the late 80s or early 90s that talked about that how i think the writer of the book he was in he was in communication with both camps you know for the work that he was doing on this book and he said it was really interesting because i think some people viewed him i forget who it was it was, it was somebody with water's organization who was like oh do we really want him here because we know he's been talking <laughs> to david gilmore because gilmore and waters you know were just boom just at each other for years over well there were lawsuits over who could yeah. tour as pink floyd at that point and it got pretty ugly and unfortunately it's still ugly i don't know if you knew about this but waters is about to release his own version of the dark side of the moon he's he's coming out with a solo album of that where i think it's uh I think I think I heard him say that he's doing this as sort of how someone his age now would be presenting this material. And uh Yeah, you know, I'm torn because I am too. Because I don't think it'll make the other dark side sell less because it's, yeah. he's doing he's he Okay, so Taylor Swift is redoing her stuff to get her rights back, right? So she right. right? And she's trying to make them sound exactly the same as the originals right Right. so people will just listen to the her versions instead of the old versions but i think roger waters is trying to do it at like you said as if somebody would do it now so i think Mm -hmm. i think it will be fine but i i I think it's going to bump up sales of the original too i do too so so do i have a problem i don't really have a problem with it i you know yeah um yeah i'll give it a listen (laughs) but i'll probably you know I don't know. I don't think that it's really necessary, but again, do what you want to do. I, I remember there was something else recently with Dark Side. I don't know if Pink Floyd was putting out a anniversary edition of it. 
and there was some problem with the liner notes where I think Waters pretty wanted to take over what the Pink Floyd organization was doing with it. And he was just, I remember reading a couple of interviews where he said, you know, the dark side of the moon is mine. It's my work, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's, I don't, like I said, it's, it's gotten so ugly over the, and it's been going on for, I guess, close to 40 years now. I mean, there, there've been times when they've reunited for one or two small occasions, but it's, uh, and as a fan, it's like, I get excited. Like when, you know, I feel like, Oh, finally, because there was a time when Roger Waters apologized. He said, you know what? I was a jerk. I think he used really harsh words. I don't want to be, I don't want to give you an explicit tag here, (laughs) but he said, I was a, yeah. Right. I shouldn't have done those things. I ruined the, I mean, maybe the relationship would have been rocky, but I really ruined the relationship by what I did. I was a bitter, angry man at that time. And Mm -hmm. I regret a lot of the stuff I did. So he's clearly still, bitter and angry about stuff like so um you know maybe that sort of helped for a while but then right. you know things are sort of sort of back so yeah it's a shame again. but i think david gilmore says i'm done being pink floyd now so like maybe yeah. they're you know they're just maybe the maybe the fighting will go away or because there's not as much to fight about yeah yeah you would hope so and un- and unfortunately as is the case you know with time passing you know you have band members who unfortunately have passed away like richard wright has and you know all of these guys i think are well into their 70s at this point so you know i don't want to ever tell anyone how to live their lives but it'd be nice if you could find ways to push aside that anger if even if you're not going to record yeah. again together or do a concert together you know maybe make some sort of peace yeah well i would definitely go i mean, i think Nick Mason still does some sort of touring. I saw something does, where he's yeah. got a Pink Floyd esque band, sort of like the yeah. Ringo Starr experience, but with the exactly. Nick Mason experience. I think it's called The Saucer Full of Secrets, maybe, or something like that. I think like it that. is. Yeah. And I think he's covering the period, the pre Dark Side period, you know, the early stuff with his band. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Uh, I, I love when I see that because the drummer for Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Carl Palmer, is doing a similar thing right now where he's been out touring with his own new band doing the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer stuff, you know, which is, uh, I, I, I like when I see that, you know, they, they have respect for, you know, their legacy. They know the fans still want to hear it, even if it's not the whole band. That's kind of nice. Well, I think, like, if David Gilmore, like, I think it's a totally different experience. So if Roger Waters goes and makes, made the Pink Floyd experience or David Gilmore makes a Pink Floyd experience, right. totally different things versus Nick Mason, who's the drummer, he's going to pick people and people are not going to expect David Gilmore guitar, David Gilmore voice, Roger Waters, ba- you know, like, right. It's going to be a more fun experience. Exactly. You know? And I think it's, the, you know, the drummer is the one that's just sort of. Yeah. He's keeping them on an even keel, you know, he's keeping everybody on an even keel. And yeah. um, I've seen interviews with him, and you know, with Nick, and he seems like a, a sort of like a fun, more lighthearted. He does. Yeah. Guy. Same with Ringo Starr, you know, yeah. I love Ringo Starr. They and, both seem uh, like the one that everybody in the band kind of got along with and he kept up relations with them, even though they may have been feuding with each other. You know, Nick was still there for David. He was still there for, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, Roger and, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. And you, I think you, I completely agree with you. I think you nailed it in that it would be much, much different if it, if Dave, if it was David Gilmore out on the road saying David Gilmore's Pink Floyd and he had just somebody else singing, you know, Roger Waters songs and such. It, w- it would not be maybe held in as good of a view by a lot of fans 
as say the Nick Mason project is going. So yeah. 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 I'm not saying I wouldn't go see these things. I know. I know. Same thing. Same thing. It's like, I listen to, I, I don't buy all of Roger Waters stuff because uh, as we've talked about before, it's still too, too bleak. And, you know, I listen to them. I've listened to them to see. Yeah. Um, I think I've bought all of David Gilmore stuff, but most of the, like the new Pink Floyd basically feels like a lot of David Gilmore stuff. Yeah, it to does. me, um, I have to say that I prefer. I mean, there's like you talk about different phases, right? So there's the early Pink Floyd, there's the middle Pink Floyd, which is like for me is like the the more album to Dark Side of the Moon, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the Wall and Final Cut. I both I like them both, but I don't won't listen to them. They're so thematic and mm-hmm. not where I am in life these days. Yeah that every once in a while I'll listen to them. But, um, and then a momentary lapse of reason on is like totally, it's like when Rush came out with, um, you know, moving pictures was the last one for me with Rush. And then it was a new phase after that. Yes. And yeah, definitely a different phase for Floyd. Momentary lapse that. of reason. But I kind of put momentary lapse of reason as in its own category because David Gilmore still wrote a lot of the lyrics. Yeah. And I don't think he's a brilliant lyricist. I think he's, he's okay. Like, I don't I, think I, I could feel the better. same way. But I think this stuff is like not as you know. I go, ooh, that's a harsh. That's a, you know that that's not the best lyric. But I, I love learning to fly, and then I think it's I don't know whether his wife or his partner, or whatever. That's right, Pat, Pol- Pat, Polly, Polly Polly Sampson, I think it is. Yeah, I think she's the primary lyricist after momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, and I think it's fine. But it's like a totally. Yeah. It's a, it feels like a, it's totally, a totally different thing. Totally different thing. Yeah, and yeah. That later stuff I appreciate probably a little bit more for the music than than for the lyrics of it. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Like I love uh, the Division Bell, the last studio yeah. album that they did. There, of course, there was the Endless River that came later, which is mostly instrumental except for one song, and I love that. I, 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 there's very little that I don't love by them, but I'm revisiting it less and less now. Yeah, yeah, I'm much more likely to even though I hated compilations before, I'm much more likely to make a playlist and listen yeah. to them all than, I am, th- a, than I am a whole album. And thankfully that's so easy for us to do now with things like Spotify and yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier than the old mixtape days. But you yeah. know what? Uh, we I could probably talk Pink Floyd with you for the rest of the day, but I'm probably going to wrap this one up right now. And okay. I just wanted to ask you, um, well, let's see. Of the of the solo albums, um, you said you well you liked Roger Waters' early things quite a bit. Uh, did oh, you had, did you have I a... had them all? I had Nick Mason's. <laughs> oh, you had Nick and Mason's I, also, and, Rich, and Richard Wright. And I had a, not a solo album, but he had an album with somebody else. Um, yeah, yeah. He uh... Mason and F- Mason and Fenn was one, and then Richard Wright had one. Yeah. They were they were they were unusual. They were. So I know obvious. he put out two. That it's funny you read my mind there because I was going to ask you what you thought about the other artists. You know, because we, we had talked about Waters so much. If you had heard any of those, because they're hard to find. I, I mean, I imagine they're easier to find now through YouTube and streaming services. But I had to pay a lot of money for Richard Wright's first solo album, which I think it came out in '78 or '79. It was called Wet Dream. And mm-hmm. yeah, I spent a fortune on that back in the eighties. I had to get it as an import and uh yeah, it, it was, was good. Import, and I found it in 
one of those high fidelity style record stores. Oh, okay. You know. But but there was some good stuff there. I mean, I, yeah. I encourage people to check out the Solar Works because it's uh I, I don't have to everybody already knows this. These bands and artists are much more than just the songs you hear on the radio or the streaming services that are out there. Um Yes, there's some good solo stuff there. Uh, particularly, I I like to push David Gilmore's solo albums on people too because I think he's he he does them very infrequently, but he's got some good stuff out there. I really liked his first solo solo album. I enjoyed his mm -hmm. second one too, which I think was his first one was super mellow. It's almost yeah, like it was a, like like a Steely Danish yes <clears throat> kind yeah. of thing. His second one had more like I think he was more of a trying to get actual get some airplay maybe yeah um and then the, i think his third one took was so many years later right it was many years later because the second one that was when uh that was sort of in between the final cut and you know when they came back with uh, momentary lapse of reason in 87 i think they were everyone was trying to jumpstart their solo careers at that point because it had uh love on the air on it which was a yeah good that's song. the one yeah i actually liked that song quite a bit and then a song in there that uh called murder that got some play on some uh rock stations that was a good one and you know what was the other one that came out many years later on the island does that sound right yeah and that on was an island on an island came out yeah. so many years later and yeah. i think and that's actually really good i didn't hear that yeah. until probably just the last five or six years and thank goodness for streaming services because i didn't feel like spending the money on it but i was able to hear it there yeah i spent so money I think, on it but lesser than i would have if i bought it yeah i think a lot of these David Gilmore's he's so mellow like so his like do, do they still say um new age music I don't know if they use I'm that term sure. but do you, yeah, I think they do you remember might, yeah. when new age music came out and oh every yeah local it was all the big thing a, for a while right and yeah that kind of you know that yeah. kind of stuff so I feel right. like some of David Gilmore's stuff could go on those I think you're right right including learning to fly like you know could be yeah. on that too people were like oh it's a little bit not as rocking as pink floyd should be yeah um but and even on um, i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no. uh even the third solo album we were just talking about i remember um uh, that has long periods on it where it's you know mostly instrumental and i was having some meditation sessions while listening to that which definitely falls mm -hmm. into what you're talking about more like the new age kind of laid back just real peaceful sounding music, but but yet there's still moments on there where he would just rip out a guitar solo, and it's like, oh yeah, he's just yeah, amazing. Yeah. He's never lost it. Such a distinctive guitar. Yeah, definitely. He'll always be one of my favorite guitarists. And I thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, we really, you know, it's it's just like we said at the beginning. We knew we could keep talking about Pink Floyd for a long time. I love talking music with you. There's there's so many other bands I know you and I could talk about, and some obscure things too that I know that we both like. Like, um, like Orion the Hunter. Oh, <laughs> All right. If you listeners aren't familiar with Orion the Hunter, look up Orion the Hunter and also look up the Pink Floyd music we've talked about here today. I really encourage people to check out Obscured by Clouds if they're not familiar with it. Yeah. And if you want a album. Final Tap experience, I want you to go back and look at up some early because they had music videos. Yes, from their early, early stuff, and it's like you get to see these these guys in all their glory, in all their sixties, yeah. early sixties glory. Yeah, I found one for I want to say it was even for the song "Bike" that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which that's a crazy uh, one. yeah, and you know, 
most of my life. Way, I, I Arnold's think I know, Rain. It's like a yeah. early monkeys video where they're all like running around chasing each other. And you're like, this yeah. is Pink Floyd acting goofy like I, I that. know. So yeah, go to YouTube or wherever and look for these things. They're very, very entertaining. And listen to this old stuff. There's so much good music prior to Dark Side of the Moon, particularly Obscured by Clouds. And, and now I want to go and listen to more again, too. So I'm glad we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Roland, thank you so much for being on the show. I encourage my listeners and watchers to seek out Roland. You know, you're if you're watching this, you're on YouTube right now. And I know if you type in Roland's name on YouTube, you're going to see him pop up a lot because I've seen you as a guest on multiple shows mm -hmm. over the yeah. years and and also with podcasts. And it was a real pleasure having you on here. And I hope you'll return again someday, Roland. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And everyone, thank you for watching. I've um, if you ever want to listen, if you're watching this on YouTube and you want to just listen to the audible versions of the show sometimes, like I said earlier, this is the 10th episode of Got to Pop, but there are nine others that are available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all those fun podcast places. So thanks again to everybody. And thank you, Roland. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, buddy. Everybody take care.